We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 11. Uh, we are here tonight fresh off of another Bucks win, a bounce back win against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I'm Kane Pittman and I'm joined as always by Ty Windish and uh, back on the winner's list. Yeah, it was. Uh, it looked like it was going to be pretty tight for a moment there. I think I almost tweeted the Bucks. I almost did a tweet jinx in the first quarter it felt like. I was a little worried. But uh, they they came back and pulled it off with what I think is a pretty impressive fourth quarter. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I was I was just thinking about uh, and the game finished. Uh, I don't know, twenty minutes ago. It was a long game. It was a long, long game tonight. It was over two and a half hours. Uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, you know, in the end, when you think about the circumstances, and I know there was a lot of guys that didn't play yesterday uh, in Atlanta, but still on a back to back against a Brooklyn team that play really really hard and uh have proven that they can come back uh from from big deficits and and play well in the fourth quarter i I think that the bucks showed a lot of resiliency to get through that and i think uh, i tweeted at some point in the third quarter that i think it was going to be a uh a really nice challenge for the bucks to work through some frustration and some of the other things that were happening but in the end the bucks win 131 121 it was a wild fourth quarter the bucks put up 40 points in the fourth uh, to get home in this one. This comes on the back of the loss, <laughs> an equally wild loss yesterday in Atlanta where they go down in overtime, 136-135 with a uh, unique cast of players playing yesterday in Atlanta with the Bucks deciding to rest some guys. But 
this win tonight is big for a, a number of reasons, and there's only four games left now for the Bucks in the regular season, but their magic number is now down to one. Only one Bucks win or one Raptors loss will clinch uh, the home court through the entirety of the playoffs. Um, there's some suggestion. We've seen some stuff on Twitter just now that it looks like uh, the Bucks either way will would have uh, game one of the NBA Finals. It doesn't look like the Warriors are going to be able to catch the Bucks. Uh, but the Raptors are still the only team that can sort of overtake the Bucks. So magic number is one for the Bucks and the Raptors. That's something uh, to watch down the stretch. Uh, my my feeling is when you look at this Bucks team, a team that has only lost back to back games uh, once during the season, that they're not going to lose four in a row to, to finish the regular season. But hey, uh, uh, either way, the magic number is one. The Bucks are one win away, or as I said, one Raptors lost from. Fiserv hosting game one for as long as the Bucks are in it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know the the Raptors get to contend with this not easy to beat Nets team. That's their their next opponent on Wednesday here. But it it almost feels like it, it, the just the some random incredible shot making in parts of the game by Atlanta on Sunday, especially by Trey Young late. Uh, we a couple. I don't want to say fluky because, I mean, he was cold early in law of averages and everything else, but a couple dramatic, incredible shots away from the Bucks already having home court throughout the playoffs uh, locked up. My question to you, does it really change anything that that hasn't happened yet? If you're Mike Budenholzer approaching these last four games, you know, do you really – does not officially having it yet with the magic number being one, does that is there is there a difference at all for you? I, I feel like probably not. No, I don't think so. And the the Bucks have always contended and, and uh, Mike Budenholz, every time we've asked him, has contended that uh he's taken it every game, you know, on its merit and, and he it, it is important for them to get home court, but it hasn't changed their plans or you shouldn't expect now that the magic number is one that they might, you know, start resting players. I don't think that's something we're going to see. I thought yesterday made a lot of sense the way uh, that the Bucks managed that game. And I know uh, there were a lot of Bucks fans that just, and, and first of all, I did, I do not blame you, you. Sometimes you just feel that the Bucks fans have this ingrained anxiety and, and paranoia about certain situations and things are going to happen. And I totally get it. Trust me. But that, that game yesterday and the way the Bucks managed that, I thought they did the right thing. And I know you look at it and you say, well, they only lost by one point. Maybe if they played Bledsoe, then, then they could have won. And, and that's absolutely correct. But if the Bucks had decided, which potentially they had, that uh, Bledsoe was maybe a guy that was only was going to try and get a night off in this back-to-back, we know he hasn't had a lot of nights off this season, then once Middleton was clearly carrying some soreness, still doesn't play tonight with the groin injury, um, Budenholzer did say that it's on the minor end of the scale. So not something to really worry about, but we know at this point, as much as the Bucks do want to lock up that one seed, they're not going to take any unnecessary risks. So once uh, Middleton was not good to go tomorrow, uh, uh, yesterday, sorry, in Atlanta, then then Bud uh, decided that that was the game that Bledsoe was going to rest. And I, I think that that made a lot of sense with, with Giannis out as well. Uh, you know, get some other guys, give them a chance and see what they can do. And in the end, they nearly pinched it. Uh, which was an incredible performance. But, uh, you know, now tonight you get Bledsoe back, you get Giannis back. And I think the the fact that Giannis played tonight should give uh, people uh, a strong enough indication that they're not looking to like, just give guys days off. And they're not unnecessarily resting players. They want to keep momentum. 
Uh, they want to limit minutes through the game if they can, but they're not just going to sit a bunch of guys for multiple games in a row. The guys are good to go. They're going to play. The guys want to play. And that's the reason why they're going to end up locking up this this one seed. But, uh, you know, in the end, like you sort of touched on, uh, uh, an impressive impressive win uh, to, to sort of uh, fight back through some questionable officiating, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I'll let you talk about that. I don't know how you viewed that tonight. I've certainly got some opinion on the on opinions on the officiating tonight, but it was uh, a frustrated Bucks team for, for a large portion of the game. No, uh, so I, I think we're, we're alike in this. I don't really ever like to quote-unquote blame officiating. I feel like that's an overdone thing, and, and fans of one team or the other are always going to see some sort of bias in how the calls come out. But this one, you know, I tweeted it, and, you know, Bucks fans were, were on my case for not being sort of uh, aggressive enough in, in condemning the officiating, I guess. I, I thought the – the Nets got a whole lot of calls. I mean, just if you watch the Bucks play a lot, you know how often they're attacking inside, whether it's Bledsoe, obviously, especially Giannis, but a lot of the slashers or inside presence guys on this team, the Nets shoot a lot of jumpers. I mean, they didn't have a lot of mid-range points tonight, but they shot 44 three-point attempts. They're not as much of a team that does work inside. All that said, you know, Brooklyn shoots 34 free throws to Milwaukee's 30. Giannis gets 11 attempts. It certainly seemed like he probably could have had a couple more of those. He's not the only one. Uh, and there's more to it than just, you know, the pure amount of free throws, but it's, it's you know, it's always somewhat of an indicator. I certainly thought that it felt like the Nets got a lot of 50-50 or questionable calls, and it certainly didn't hurt their uh, their comeback or their late surges that required, like you said earlier, a really nice fourth quarter from the Bucks. Yeah, and and again, just a, just a note on the uh, on the free th- free throws there um, for the Bucks. Remember that they down the stretch were uh, getting fouled a lot in the last minute, so they they certainly beefed up those numbers uh, in that mm, regard. That's a good but, point. Um, I don't, and, and this is the thing. Like, I I don't mind physical basketball and the refs letting stuff go. I'm totally okay with that, and I think that that's what you see a lot in the playoffs. So I think. In that regard, it was probably good for the Bucks to work through that against a Brooklyn team that, obviously, with Jared Allen protecting the paint, um, can do some stuff down there. And I thought Giannis, in particular, uh, was really well defended by Allen and, and some of the Allen Nets defenders. I thought they did a great job. But I think the real frustration for the Bucks uh, players came from the fact that there was some really touchy stuff being called down the other end, and then the Bucks just couldn't buy a foul. Uh, with working through some serious, serious contact. I know George Hill on multiple occasions was was really frustrated with the refs. Uh, Bledsoe and Brook Lopez end up picking up technical fouls. And, and we've seen we've seen Brook Lopez pick up his fair share of techs this year. Um, not not up there with the with the sort of uh, Draymond Greens of the league, but I think he, he'd probably have five or six techs in the league if I, uh, on the season if I had to guess. So some real frustration. Mark Budenholzer was frustrated. Uh, there was certainly a couple of fouls called uh, on the Bucks for working over screens where it looked like the Nets players were clearly moving. They didn't call those those moving screens. It just felt like everything was going. Um, it just felt like the Nets were able to do a lot more defensively and be a lot more physical than the Bucks were, and and that's where the frustration sort of grew from. So um, there was a point there in the in the third quarter where uh, the Nets and the game was really going back and forth. I, I think the Nets. 
you know, took the lead a couple of times. The Bucks took the lead uh, back a couple of times. And, and the, as, I, as I already mentioned, the frustration was, was through the roof for the Milwaukee players. So that was where I really thought the game was in the balance. Potentially at that point, um, do, does someone get pushed over, over the edge and, and get ejected? Does Bud get himself thrown out of the game? I, I, I just wasn't sure where this game was going at the end of the third quarter when the Bucks take a 91-89 lead. At that point, Giannis is 4 for 14 from the field and really just not able to get into his usual rhythm. He comes out, he, he gets uh, straight, to the, straight to the rack early, gets to the free throw line after that, hits a three-pointer, and, and just really the Bucks open up a double-digit lead early in the fourth quarter, and it felt like that little stretch from Giannis taking over the game with some help from Tim Frazier, we should point out, who hit a big corner three. Uh, and and had a, a, a nice assist in transition, got rid of the ball really early to Giannis, who then got to the free throw line. Those two combined with some nice early minutes, and, and the Bucks really were able to to get control of the game back. Yeah, this this felt like a game where you could really tell that the Bucks missed having some more of their shooters out there, even just more options of shooters. You know, whether it's Middleton, Snell, obviously Brogdon, the Bucks' best three point shooter, and Miritich because. The Nets very much were packing the paint, making life really hard for Giannis with either Ed Davis or Jared Allen back there, and then a lot of other guys coming to help out. I mean, they have a lot of either long forwards like Karuks, just bigger guys like Damari Carroll, uh, Jared Dudley, who were making life difficult for Giannis, and just not a great three-point shooting performance for the Bucks. you know, 32.4%. The only guy who shot better than 40% was Tim Frazier, as you mentioned already. He was two for three. Nice game, probably the best Bucks game so far from Tim Frazier. A nice little seven-seven-three and uh, a steal performance for him. But it just really seemed like you know Giannis sends this one with two assists. Not a lot of great options for him. Brooke Lopez, one of his bad shooting days, one for five. Sterling Brown, one for four. Although he, everything else he did was impressive. Um, it's just another like it's. I don't want to focus on it too much because every team's going to deal with injuries and it's part of the game and it's not really worth talking about a lot. But it's hard not to feel like the undertone of the Bucks are super banged up in pretty much every game at this point because they can still win and, and come close to winning like they did yesterday with almost no one. But it you can just you can sense it all the time. Yeah, so I just back to something you said earlier uh, when you when you first started talking there was uh, the Nets packing the paint and it was interesting because they played a hell of a lot yeah. of zone tonight, a lot of zone. And, and uh, first of all, this is not something that the Bucs have, uh, you know, haven't seen this year. We know Miami's thrown, them, thrown the zone at them a lot. We know some other teams have done that. And the Bucs have had great success against the zone. So this wasn't a game where I was watching it and thinking, well, you know, the Bucs struggle against the zone. This could be an issue in the playoffs, so this could be something teams throw at them. Because they've had, they've had no trouble in picking apart the zone in the past, but what I thought we saw tonight was that, the, the, as, I, as I already mentioned, the Bucks started to get a little bit frustrated, uh, and, and I thought they started to get a little bit lazy on offense. They weren't quite working to get into those second and third actions. They were taking it upon themselves to try and drive at the defense, uh, not moving the ball, and just getting a little bit sloppy on offense. And, and, you know, I mean, they end up with 131 points. It's not like they were really slowed down, but I just thought, uh, perhaps the way the game was going and just some of the things that were happening in the game probably threw them off more than uh, just the, the general zone themselves. Uh, not, I wouldn't say it was a, a really great night shooting 
uh, from the outside for the Bucks. They're 11 for 34, so 32 percent. So not not their best night shooting. But again, I you know I don't want to, um, you know I, I just it, it it would bother me I guess if people really thought that well the zone's going to be something that, that Giannis is going to have trouble with. The zone's going to be something the Bucks are going to have trouble with. I don't quite subscribe to that. I thought a lot of their problems were self-inflicted tonight in through the second and third quarter, where they were getting caught up in uh, a few different things other than what was happening on the court. So, uh, you know, cre- and, and, and credit to Brooklyn for that. But you touched on a couple of guys that that really uh, added to this performance tonight, and, and two guys we've spoke about a lot on the podcast recently. But George Hill, first of all, uh, you know, eighteen points yesterday. Uh, 22 points tonight. Uh, his offensive game, you know, when you think back to when he first came uh, to the Bucks, he was missing a lot of close, uh, you know, looks. He was getting to his spots, but he just didn't have that finishing touch. He looked like he was a little bit about out of sorts offensively. Uh, he's really figuring it out. No, absolutely. I think we. I feel like we were kind of on George Hill Island pretty early, but it was more in terms of like, well, he's not going to do a lot offensively, but his leadership and especially his defense is huge. I know we talked about how much he impacts Milwaukee's defense per the on-off numbers, but what he's done offensively has been encouraging, especially because it's not like he just, you know, he hits like four threes in a row that happen to go in and that's where he gets his points. I mean, he was 0 for 2 from deep tonight. That's not as encouraging, but get to the line seven times, make 8 of 11 free uh, field goals. You know, that means, what, six of nine from – or no, eight of nine from inside the arc, which helps. Like you already said, 22 points plus three assists and two boards and a steal. Those are just the kind of contributions that matter. I mean, that can definitely swing a playoff game that would be close if you have someone who's not one of your best, you know, three, four players, comes off the bench but can make that kind of impact and – that kind of performance seems especially valuable to Milwaukee in this world where we know uh, Malcolm Brogdon won't be back until probably the second round. Who knows how long he's it takes him to get acclimated again. Having another point guard option after Eric Bledsoe is just crucial. And George Hill's play has been comforting lately. I raised the question. I teased it earlier. I'm going to give it to you now, Kane. Is... Is George Hill another 16-game player here on the Milwaukee Bucks getting ready for the, the postseason? Well, I, I know that for, for a fact, I know that Bud believes he's a 16-game player because, uh, you know, if I was at the game tonight, there's some sometimes you like you can ask Bud a question and you know that as soon as you start talking, he's going to get a big smile on his face. And I'm pretty sure tonight would have been the night and, and you know, Matt Velasquez was riding solo tonight. Uh, at, at this one in Brooklyn, but I'm sure he's going to ask about George Hill, and I'm sure he got a big smile from Bud when he asked the question because uh, Hill's a guy that that Bud knows. He's he's worked with him before in the past. He's got a lot of trust in this guy, and he's always preached his his defensive capabilities, and, and we've seen that all year. But we also have seen that Bud is willing to throw George Hill out there in big uh, moments in the fourth quarter, and you touch on a guy that. The Bucks have been able to really lean on in Malcolm Brogdon to hit big shots, uh, to come up clutch. Don't be surprised to see George Hill take a lot of those minutes, potentially in the first round if we get in, in those situations because Bud really, really, really trusts this guy to make smart decisions, make the right decisions, and, and get good shots. 
and we saw that tonight. Uh, there was stretches, and this is, we've seen this a couple times now. I always think back to the game in uh, Indianapolis. I think it was just before the All-Star break, or maybe I think it was just before the All-Star break, but the Bucks were really in, in a tough spot against the Pacers. They were struggling in the third quarter. They couldn't get anything going at all. And George Hill was the guy who, I think he had a personal 7-0 run in the third quarter there in Indiana. And, and we asked Bart about that after, and he said, yeah. He said, well, that's George Hill. He goes, he's been doing that his whole career. I trust him to do that. We know we can put the ball in his hands, and he's going to get good get, uh, Good things are going to happen. So um, he's been there before. We know he was there in the finals last year. Uh, I think any of these guys that the Bucks have that have real playoff experience and have had big moments uh, during the playoffs, as Hill has through his career all the way back uh, through some of the other teams he's, he's been with as well, uh, he, he's someone that, that is going to be really, really critical uh, for this Bucks team. And, and again, we always point to his defense, but over the last six games now since he came back from this injury, which was a kind of a scary injury for a guy uh, that the, you know of George Hill, um, is George Hill's age and the way that he plays, uh, you, you had some concerns of whether he was going to get that explosiveness back. Would he be able to get to the rack as easily as he has in the past? 11.8 points per game over the last six since since returning. So just really, really, really good signs for the Bucks. Absolutely good signs. I, I just – it's just good to see. It's It's serendipitous because – We've talked already about we know Milwaukee is going to rely on veterans in the postseason. And we know George Hill, you know, even if he was struggling right now, it would probably, especially with the injuries, it would probably take some mighty struggling for him to not at least see some early minutes from Coach Bud in the postseason because we've talked about before, you know, he likes relying on some of these veterans, you know. Younger guys have roles on this team, like obviously Brogdon was starting, etc. But George Hill is a guy who was going to see – run regardless and for him to play well as in our last you know five games or four games now here it's just comforting I think for Bucks fans I I think even though it hasn't been steady wins here at the end with all these injuries I feel like the key personnel has looked good enough to make you feel good regardless and you know the the one seed's all but locked up so that probably helps too yeah, I was, I was, I, I started laughing when you started talking because I know that you were always setting up uh, the ad read, and I, I thought yeah, that was a pump fake. Yeah, it, well, I bought it because <laughs> I thought you were just about to break into the ad read, and I just every time you do that, I start laughing because uh, I just I feel well, I felt like I could read when you normally do that, but now uh, I'm confused. I, I don't know, I don't even know what to think anymore, but. Again, another one of my favorites on the team, Sterling Brown. Uh, comes off the, the career high, 27, against Atlanta yesterday. He backs that up. He has another 10 points in the first quarter after having 14 in the first quarter yesterday against the Hawks. He's showing, I mean, he's, he's show, we know that he's got the ability to, to shoot the three um, tonight, as you, as you pointed out earlier, one for four. But um, yesterday, just real confidence shooting the ball against the Hawks. Tonight, gets to the rack again a couple of times. And there was one play in the fourth quarter where Jared Allen sort of, I mean, Jared Allen had a, he was a couple of steps back from Sterling. And when Sterling started to make his move, uh, you know, towards the towards the bucket, I was sort of like, oh, I don't know how this is going to end up. But <laughs> he's able to just like put his body in as we know he does. Yeah, I mean, he's so physical and, and it's really hard to, to push this guy off balance. 
He's, he sort of puts a little bit of body into Jared Allen, one of the better shot, shot blockers in the league, and then just finishes a nice little uh, nice little layup at the rim at a really, really crucial time in the fourth quarter. So Sterling Brown is really starting to show us a lot. I know he was a guy that, uh, you know, that I was like, well, this guy's going to start. I just believed that he was going to be the guy that was going to slip into the Brogdon role if he could get healthy. But 16 points a game now he's averaging as a starter over the last four. Uh, he's proving to be a very, very important player and doing it efficiently. Uh, six for 11 tonight from the field. I know he was really efficient yesterday score, uh, scoring the ball. Five boards, three assists tonight as well. Grabs a steal. Uh, he's becoming a really valuable fifth contributor in the starting lineup. He doubtlessly is. I mean, just to sort of, instead of adding more analysis to that, which I feel like was already pretty comprehensive, how about a question? What can't Sterling Brown do? Because I feel like on both ends of the floor, it seemed like he's done pretty much anything he's needed to do over the course of you know these four games and, and the season when he's gotten real minutes. I mean, I haven't, seen anything and obviously you know there's always places he can improve but there's not any one glaring thing when I watch Sterling Brown play where I'm like oh he really can't do this like he can do everything at least adequately yeah so I I think that and I I I am still really hesitant to to sit here and I know there was a few people that sort of tweeted at me tonight and they were were sort of suggesting well he's as good as Brockton or what can't he do that Brogdon could do? And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to go that far at this point. Um, I mean, That's a little excessive. I, I think so. And the reason, because, I mean, we've seen Brogdon do what he, he does for, for three years now. I mean, we've seen Sterling obviously being a valuable contributor, but have we, we haven't seen him do what Brogdon has done consistently over, you know, 150 games or whatever it is that Brogdon's played in the league. So, um the differences between Sterling and Malcolm. First of all, there's a couple of moments in yesterday's game against the Hawks or Sunday's game against the Hawks where um, Sterling, I mean, he was really playing as the lead ball handler late in that game. And I thought that was great. I thought that was great for his development. It was good for him to take that lead role and really take responsibility. But there was a couple of times where he tried to force his way into the paint. He tried to get uh, an easy look at the glass. And obviously he had some big buckets. He had the what would have been the game winner if Trey Young doesn't get that one. So this isn't really a knock and stilling, but there was a couple of times there where he just wasn't able to really work his way into the spots he wanted to. Uh, I, I think the craftiness that Brogdon has in terms of getting the paint throws in some little hesitations. His ability to uh, shoot the layup off the off foot with the off hand, with the reverse. I, I just think Brogdon's got some probably a little bit more craft around, around the, the basket that allows him to do some different things. And obviously the big difference between those two is uh, how many big uh, shots Brogdon's hit over his career with the threes. And, and yeah, I mean, there's there's a handful of, that he's had already in his short career. So that's that's definitely the big differences. But as you said, I mean, defensively, Sterling does a lot of what Brogdon can do. He's got a bit more, uh, a bit more size. He's a bit more physical than Brogdon. Uh, I think that he's got a greater ability to sort of fight over screens. I think Sterling brings a lot um in in that regard and if he continues to to develop offensively then uh he he does a lot of things that that sort of do fit the sort of role uh that Brogdon was playing and I think I probably take a lot more from tonight than I did yesterday against the Hawks this was a legit playoff team we see how he fit in with the things he was trying to do and he plays 35 minutes tonight and didn't look out of place at all so uh certainly in terms of 
um, looking forward to the first round. It's not ideal, and you want Brogdon back, but this is a nice little uh, player to, to slot in there. Absolutely. I've been high on Sterling since his first G League game at the start of last season. And, you know, in addition to everything you said again, he brings an edge, you know, a, a focused edge like a razor. <laughs> All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Speaking of razors, Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10, 10 American dollars on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that, those three things, for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. We're done with those now. It's 2019. That's over. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving. It was busted. Now it's fixed by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders, probably one of which named Harry, but I'm not sure, were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany. That's pretty badass. That's been making quality blades for over 95 years. That's almost 100. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your free, not not free, excuse me. Claim your trial offer. It's $3, not free. It's close to free. By going to harrys.com slash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. That must have been what, what I was thinking of when I said free, but you'll love it. You won't need the refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for $3. And it's not just a razor; it's a whole kit. How can you pass that up, Kane? I, I didn't. I don't know if you can. I mean, I'm a man that, that's uh, that's got a beard, and you know, I, I think that you, if you're in my position, then you would be well advised to to look after the, the your facial hair. You have to. You know, you can next time you're at a Bucks game. If you see, I know they're they're injured right now, but if you see Nico, you see Paul Gasol, guys with righteous beards, you can start up a conversation. Say, hey, I know you guys listen to the Eurostep. Take advantage of this offer. Well, I, I again, just this is just a really comprehensive, stellar uh, ad read from you. Uh, I thought the segue was brilliant. I know I bought the pump fake earlier. I thought you really uh, bounced back well. And <laughs> uh, that was an impressive effort by you. I, I did feel like it was good. I, I wish you didn't know it was coming so easily. I heard the chuckle real early in that one, but what what can you do? I mean, when you got a signature move, you just got to go to it. Like Kareem asking why more players don't do the sky hook, which is patently hilarious. No, I think the people are into it. But uh, for uh, Milwaukee, I, I'm interested because a lot of the talk, and a lot of the talk has been on uh, the Bucks securing the the, uh, the number one seed through the playoffs, which we already discussed, one win away or one Raptors lost. But... Another milestone with four games to go. The Bucks are fifty-eight and twenty, two wins away from uh, win number sixty. Which, which for the Bucks, when you look at that, that would be the first time they've won sixty games since 1980-1981. So uh, you know, I, I guess what are you? How much importance should they place on on, on win number sixty? I I know uh, you know there's varying sort of. Opinions out there are what the Bucks should do with Giannis, what the Bucks should do with some other key players. So, if you're if you are Mark Budenholzer, what are you thinking right now, and what's your game plan with these final four games? 
You know, it's tough. Uh, I think first and foremost, the playoffs are the priority. And since you're there already, and, you know, we sound like a broken record, but it's, you know, it's kind of like flexing to say it. So I think we should keep saying it. You know, they're one. Magic number is one for home court throughout the entire playoffs. And that's something that should be talked about because it matters. And the Bucks earned that by allegedly trying too hard this regular season. That's a, something I've heard. Um, that it should – preparing for a playoff run comes first. It should come first. I think it, we've seen it does come first. I mean, Mike Budenholzer given like four guys a day off when their Bucks are already short on players is – speaks pretty loudly to that for, you know, the first game of a back-to-back and, and Sunday's game against Atlanta. That all said, all my hedging aside, winning 60 would be awesome and I think important. You know, it's a number not many teams have hit. Last podcast, I made a list of teams that have done that in sort of this decade. And, you know, you got obviously Rockets, Warriors, Spurs, the Heat, the Thunder, the Bulls. It's it's not a long list. The Hawks have done it with Budenholzer, the Cavaliers, the Lakers way back when. feels like ages ago now. Uh, I might have forgotten to read one of these, but it's it's not a lot of teams. It's not easy to do. Like you said, the Bucks haven't done it in you know nearly 40 years now. It would be special, I think, to hit it, but I think it would be more special to go on a real playoff run, so that's why you need to have your priorities in order. Yeah, no doubt. I thought it was actually really interesting watching the uh, watching the Hawks game on Sunday. And I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm at a lot of the games that I don't really get to listen to to Marcus and Jim uh, too often. But it was interesting hearing Marcus Johnson talk about winning sixty games and whether that was something that he really placed a lot of value on. And he was on that team, the last Bucks team to win it in 1980, 1981. They they finished sixty and twenty two. Um, and and he said that it was a really big milestone for that team, and it was something that they really wanted to get to. They wanted to achieve sixty wins. Now, unfortunately for them, as he pointed out, they they still finished third uh, in the Eastern Conference because you had Philly and Boston also won over sixty games. So, which is, I mean, that's a ridiculous situation here. I mean, to win sixty and, and and finish third in the conference. But it was interesting to hear the players' perspective. I think the Bucks players would really want to get to sixty. Obviously, they need to finish two and two and two to get there. So, uh, I mean, it's not asking a lot. Um, but again, I, I think as you sort of pointed out, I think it's very clear that the Bucks, if everyone's fine, they're probably going to play. But they're not taking any chances. Milton's missed the last two. We know Giannis has missed a whole bunch of games with the ankle uh, in recent times. So, I think you know, Bucks fans can be confident that they're uh, not taking any unnecessary risks. They are going. Uh, and trying to win games, but uh, they're also understanding that the playoffs are only a, like a week and a half away, two weeks away from from game one uh, at Fiserv Forum. So um, it's, I mean, it's business time now, and, and there's no need to really uh, mess around and take unnecessary risks. So really, really good to see Giannis get through the game tonight and not uh, tweak that ankle again. That's going to be something to watch. Um, also, you know, Middleton, hopefully he will come back and play Thursday against Philadelphia, but if he's not right to go, don't expect him to play. And it's interesting to see what the other teams are doing in the, uh, in the, in the conference as well. We know Embiid's missed a couple of games in a row now. I think Jimmy Butler didn't play tonight. I think I saw that. So look, uh, you know, all these teams are sort of, uh, you know, trying to rest their guys if they can. And, and there's not a lot of teams that are in that position, um, so the Bucks would be wise to take advantage of that. 
The other point is that the playoffs are stretched out over such a long period of time that, you know, if all things go well for the Bucks and they, and they roll through the first round like we suspect that they probably will, um, then they're going to get a lot of rest during the playoffs as well before potentially a second-round matchup against Boston or Indiana, which, uh, again, just projecting ahead, yeah, I feel like it's going to be a long series. So, look, they've got some decisions to make, but I, I think the big thing is that they're not going to risk, um, you know, take any unnecessary risks. I think the other positives is a lot of a lot of guys have got a lot of minutes that uh, potentially probably needed a bit of a run before the playoffs. Uh, and and you you know Tim Frazier is one of those guys that's had a couple of really really good games in a row. So some real positives for the Bucks: the fact that they have been able to rest some players and still remain in good shape, still win games, and not really have any, uh, not really put that number one seed in jeopardy at all is a, is a credit to everyone involved. But Philadelphia on Thursday. Uh, any thoughts on that one? I know it's it's always hard at this time of year because you don't know what's who's going to play, but it is going to be on TNT. Uh, typically, those national TV games get the big players to play, but uh, you know what should what do you think we should expect from from the game against Philadelphia? I think the the saving grace for this game maybe being entertaining to someone who's not locked into one of these two teams or just for a casual viewer is that. These two teams kind of, I, I don't know if it's bad blood, but maybe it's bad blood. I mean, we got Giannis and Ben Simmons trading blows last game. Joel Embiid will, will have a feud with, with anyone gleefully. Um, and obviously, you know, Ursan now, a Bucks double agent who was with Philly last year. It just, and I guess Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick are a very short-lived form of Bucks. But I, I think more importantly is the sort of Ben Simmons versus Giannis and Embiid versus everybody thing. It's hard to say who's going to play. I mean, by that point, uh, maybe not by that point. I don't know when the Raptors play next, but it's the the Sixers are all but locked into number three. I mean, they're five and a half back from Toronto, so that's not changing. They're three and a half up on Boston, and the way Boston's played lately, that doesn't seem like it's changing. With again, just you know, three, four, five, whatever games left for those two teams, so they probably won't have much incentive to play hard aside from the fact that it's national TV. And they could probably see the Bucks in the playoffs if both teams do well, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of real right now consequences, both teams probably won't have a lot. So I I would be pretty surprised to see the kind of intense game we saw last time these teams matched up where Embiid and Giannis playing a lot of minutes, trading blows late. I mean, maybe if, if everyone gets caught up in a little bit, but I just don't know if the same intensity is going to be there at this point in the season. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Uh, that's a fair assessment of it. There's there's not a lot to be gained either way. I mean, yes, obviously, um, you know, if, if the Bucks still need that win to clinch the number one seed, that that could be a factor. But in terms of these two teams, not a lot to gain. Potentially, they're going to see each other in the conference finals. Um, and but uh, you know, again, uh, we saw these two two teams play each other late in the season last year, and obviously. A different situation for the Bucks, but I mean the Bucks completely threw that game, and it was you know I think they were down forty in the second quarter or something stupid like that. So that's that's the type of thing you can see late in the season. Uh, sometimes you see games like this where one side or the other will just completely throw in the towel, and no one's going to play at all. So I mean we we don't really know what to expect, but it's interesting. I, I just <laughs> so I've just seen an interesting stat, and I. I Look, I, I think we've pretty much got through everything that we want to for this episode, but 
I would like to, and obviously you can you can add anything you want to, but I would. This might be a good way to end this. The Bucks win their forty fifth game uh, by double digits tonight. Uh, they are just the eighth team in NBA history to win forty five games by double digits. The other seven teams, all seven of them ended up winning the NBA. Ooh, title. I like it. So when you think about uh, you know some of the narratives about the Bucks and oh they're trying too hard and oh they're dominating too many games. The Bucks have been able to keep their starters' minutes very low. Everyone should be feeling fresh. Obviously, they have some injuries and some guys that they want to get healthy, but for, for the most part, the Bucks go into the playoffs feeling very, very fresh. And that's a stat the Bucks fans might like to take some comfort from. 45 double-digit wins, eighth team in NBA history, the L7 all won the NBA title. I don't think there's much of a better way to close than that. I mean, that... That sums it up, folks. I mean, this is a team that everybody who knows about basketball, who watches NBA basketball, should expect to be at the very least a legitimate contender come uh, April, May, and, you know, June. Yeah, I mean, they've put themselves in the box seat. We know that, you know, at this point, we're 78 games through. We're nearly there to the playoffs. We've been waiting for the playoffs to start for a long time, which is not something that Bucks fans are used to. Normally, uh, Milwaukee would be f- scrapping for the eighth seed or, or like last year, jostling to try and, uh, you know, uh, find some, some matchup that you think gives you an advantage. But they are one game away from locking up uh, game one at Fiserv through the whole playoffs. Uh, it, it's been a dominant regular season. The Bucks will play Philadelphia on Thursday, and then they have a weekend back-to-back. They take on the Nets and the Hawks again. I don't know what that scheduling is all about, but they are doing that at back-to-back at Fiserv on the weekend. So we are really, really getting to the business end right now. Absolutely, and I still have reservations about that last game of the season. I think it's going to be a weird one, and Thunder in a weird place right now, so that'll be interesting to watch. But, yeah, no, I think we uh... – I think we covered everything for now. I'm excited, man. I'm ready for, like you said, I'm ready for the playoffs. We've had enough regular season basketball. The Bonzi era began and ended. It was almost a one and zero perfect era. Shout out to Bonzi, though. I mean, 15 and 16, good line for him. I have to give Bonzi some respect for grinding in the G League all season. He, he got a shot, and I thought he played pretty well. Oh, he was great. He was great, and you know, he got one one minute tonight. Uh, his shot was pretty savagely rejected, but. Uh, you know, I, I thought he was good yesterday. It was fun to see those guys play, but as you said, we, we're not here to watch Bonzi Carlson in the playoffs. We're here to watch Giannis and, and Milton and, 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 the, and the big guns really show out for the Bucks. So we'll be back on Monday to talk through what we what we think and what we believe will be uh, your number one seed uh, Milwaukee Bucks through the playoffs. Ty, thank you again. Thank you, Kane. Thank you to everyone for listening. Of course, you know, subscribe, rate, review if you enjoy it. Tell two friends, they'll tell two friends. And in no time, we'll be running the world here from the Eurostep podcast. Thanks, everybody.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.